to Dr. Frida in the morning. Hi, welcome to the Dr. Frida Show. Let's talk. Hello, welcome to the Dr. Frida Show. We have so much to talk about. Just to introduce you, Gina Cox, Ph.D., PCC. And uh, you advise, uh, coach, and uh, uh, give information to executives uh, uh, who are really actually building inclusive work cultures. Tell us a little bit about that. And give me three of the most difficult uh, situa- areas uh, that these uh, executives seem to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I am definitely uh, an executive coach who advises leaders, and you know, I'm an organizational psychologist, so I'm really interested in overall organizational culture and in helping our leaders build cultures where everybody in the organization can thrive. So that's the thing that I am trying to accomplish. When it comes to this whole idea of inclusive organizational cultures, you know, that is something that um, I sort of emphasize as And it's really a subset of building an overall good organization because if leaders are um, paying attention to the entire experience of employees, then everybody will benefit from that. It's sometimes the case that leaders, if you talk about what's the most difficult, sometimes leaders, especially the higher they are in the organization, don't have a, a, a clear understanding of the current experience that employees are having. And they also don't have an understanding of the experience of those employees who are from subordinated groups uh, uh, who might in fact be having an even a less positive experience. That's so important, uh, what you're saying. Uh, there's so much involved when you're running a business. We need people like yourself uh, to step back and see that everybody has something to offer equally uh, no matter what their position is, it's true. And we miss out. Yes. Uh, we miss out by having more people around us, not less people. So being the boss it doesn't really give you as much clout and power as having everybody, as you're saying, have an equal say. Uh, what do you mean about the psychological safety? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, psychological safety is an idea that has an origin that goes back, you know, decades, but became a lot more popular when Amy Edmondson um, did her work more recently uh, in this decade where she articulated this notion, these ideas, that in fact, if you, um, one of the things that you really want to look for if you're trying to understand an organization from the perspective of the employee experience and also from the perspective of driving innovation uh, and other business outcomes is that you want to make sure you have an environment in which there's space for people to express their ideas and their opinions. The reason that you want to leave that space, of course, is as an individual, if I have ideas and opinions, it, it, it makes me feel better if I'm able to express those ideas. But it is also beneficial to the organization, especially if those are ideas that can help to generate um, innovations and creativity and so on for the organization. But not all organizations and not all leaders in organizations make that space. So one aspect of psychological safety is are you providing the space so that I can do that? And then, of course, the other aspect of it is even if you say you're providing the space, 
when I do share my ideas, do my if I if my ideas differ from yours or are are, are um, sort of out of the ordinary, do you penalize me then for putting my ideas out, out there oh, and expressing important. my true feelings and opinions? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It's true because you have to feel safe. Uh, and, Absolutely. Uh, in order to express yourself, because if you're not the boss, uh, you don't want to put yourself in, in jeopardy. And you know, I, I mm-hmm. always go uh, into different businesses or events, and it trickles down. The employees represent the boss. And uh, if they're happy, you know that they have a boss who is fair-minded and gives them a feeling, as you're saying, of safety. Uh, you also speak about diversity uh equity, inclusion. What does that mean? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I'll start by just saying that people tend to use those terms interchangeably, uh, and sometimes that means that they're they're not uh, fully getting the, the full interpretation of these individual questions. Uh, so aspects of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So diversity, you can think about that as sort of being about numbers and about representation. It's about you know, for people, let's say you're talking that diversity can be thought of in a lot of different dimensions, not just race, it can be ethnicity, it can be gender, it can be LGBTQ status, it could be um, uh, age, it could be with the way you think, it could be social. I mean, there's so many different ways to think about it. But however you're thinking about it, diversity is about representation. So do we have representation of these differences in the organization? the extent that we have them in the general workforce or the general population. If, if we have 50% women in America, then we might expect that in most situations we could have 50% of women in most jobs. And so we don't. We know that there's something that deserves additional scrutiny. So that's diversity. Um, and then uh, the, the equity has to do with this notion of is everybody uh, giving sort of getting equal access to whatever the the thing is. It doesn't mean that everybody gets the same thing, but but the whole idea is to understand does everyone have sort of an equal opportunity to get access to whatever the thing is, whether that's training or promotions or whatever those those, um, goods and, and benefits are that an organization is able to provide. And then inclusion is really about the feeling of the thing. So... For people who who have who regardless of who they are how how they look and so on, do they feel welcome? Like a sense as, as whether they when they're at this is a place that people want them to be. Do they feel respected? Um, it's all about the day to day experience of being in that group. You know, it's very interesting what you're talking about. Uh, most applicants uh, study the uh, the dynamics uh, of the workplace and they try to fit in. Uh, they'll wear, they will wear similar clothing. Uh, they will look at the interests outside of employment uh, so they can discuss that. And are you suggesting also that applicants, uh, if they don't fill in uh, these slots, mm-hmm. uh, should not be as considered uh, as the uh, percentages that are needed to be filled in, let's say with diversity, uh, if we have someone who has a different uh, gender orientation, um, should that be considered? Should we have 60% of a certain population, uh, like women, women in, in our organization, uh, as part of that uh, applicant search? 
Well, I, I, it, it, I wouldn't say it that definitively because there are so many factors that would go into play in terms of trying to determine what is, number one, um, you know, the right proportion and that sort of thing. But if, if what you're aiming for is to, um, first of all, you want to understand, well, what is the pattern? So let's say we're talking in the state of Florida now, and we are, because I'm here, and we're talking about applicants for certain kinds of jobs. Well, it, it is certainly possible, especially for entry-level jobs and jobs that do not require, you know, a certain particular training or whatever, that most people might be candidates for those jobs. And yet, if it is possible that most people could be candidates, um, it is, it is also possible that you're, that that of all the people who might be candidates might not even know that the job exists because maybe you only advertise your jobs uh, in a certain to a certain group of people or you only take employee referrals so, and so on. The reason I'm saying that it's not a simple answer is that I always want to understand well what is it that you are doing right? Well, what is the what does the population look like? And then. Why are, if your numbers are different, what are the things that you are doing that might be accounting for that? I think or I like to help organizations do that analysis first before you jump to any conclusions because they may, in fact, you know, be doing everything they can and should be doing and still getting that result, which would be a different solution. Or it might, might very well be, like I said, that all they're doing is just hiring their friends over and over again. Yeah, so in other words, who are you reaching out to? Uh, if yeah. you're staying within a certain population, uh, that's what you'll be getting. And sometimes, Over and uh, mm -hmm. right, uh, the background or the uh, the talent or experience uh, or the expertise uh, is not center stage. So mm -hmm. uh, with everything, with all these variables, uh, you have to be able to be uh, involved with all the populations, all the possibilities around you, and as well as if you need a certain area of expertise, of course, you're more limited uh, to who mm -hmm. has those qualifications. So you need right. to be able to expand yourself when necessary. This is really uh, I interesting, and it's very important, because I don't think people, uh, when they're out there uh, and they need uh, someone to fill in a space, are as aware of what they're doing. Uh, they're just focused on uh, the task at hand. Uh, when we're looking at the population at work, it does make a huge difference uh, when you're talking about having experience at work and enjoying the process. It's fun to really be with different people, uh, learn different types of experiences and qualities. So that mix it is really what represents our population. So we need mm -hmm. to be able to see what is going on in society today and have that uh, reinstated in the workforce. And we're, we're, we're just starting. We're just starting. And, mm -hmm. you know, the millennials are always work looking more than the paycheck to enjoy the experience at work. They'll leave the workplace if they don't find that comfort level. So this is something mm -hmm. that we're talking about, newer generations coming in, and this is really what they do want. They want that mix. Uh, they want to be able to uh, have something that they enjoy going to, uh, and it does become a social uh, situation as well. Uh, you also talk about future of work. What does that mean? <laughs> well, um, 
it, it simply means that we are in a, in a well, you know, there's always trend setting and, for, and, and sort of for trying to predict the future and trends and all that. So that's always been something that people in who study work behavior will do. But we are in a particular period of time where it appears that there are certain trends that are accelerating at such a fast pace and factors that are influencing trends at such a fast pace that this feels like a particular time and a time where there is a lot more need to try to anticipate what is around the corner and to do that at a faster pace. So if I think about um, the trend that has to do that we all knew was present, which is the trend having to do with technology and digitization and and the digital economy and how that has changed the way that we, the things that we can do, the way that we do them, how we relate to one another and so on, and then how we get the work done. We always, we've known for a while that technology was going to be one of those big macro factors that would influence the future of work. But then along comes the pandemic, which is a second macro factor because it, it, it's different than technology because we didn't see it coming, we didn't predict it, and it shut down the entire world almost for a year, if not, and you know, in some places longer. And the effects of that, we still don't even know all of the effects of that, but clearly it changed the way we work, it changed how we work for some proportion of people who, who um, are in knowledge jobs and could work from home. It changed the way we interacted with our coworkers. It changed the way we interact with our bosses. It just changed everything about the world of work. So future of work has a lot to do now if you're thinking about the pandemic, about, okay, well, first of all, going back in some cases to a physical workspace, the new dynamics of how people interact with one another, whether they go back or whether they work from home or a combination of those kinds of things. And what does that mean in terms of social you know, social, even things like education and childcare for parent, it has all of those things are affected. So, future of work is about all of these big forces that are going to influence the world of work and trying to anticipate what they are and help leaders deal with them. Yes, I wonder what that future is going to be. A lot of people don't want to go back to work. Uh, they're saying the five-day week is not going to be the new norm. Um, mm-hmm. and they w- would prefer, if possible, to uh, mm-hmm. work from home or not work at all. Uh, so yeah. we've changed. Absolutely, and it's interesting that you say that because, yeah, the, the, the work week, the flexibility that people are demanding, uh, the time to spend with their families, um, and then you mentioned something about work at all. Well, there's actually just another thing which is interesting, which is, you know, if you think about the future, it is it seems inevitable that there will be some people who um, who will choose to work even without getting sort of more like a volunteer. There'll be those kinds of people, and then of course there will be people who work but who are under sort of underpaid or underutilized, and maybe they aren't being you know they're not fully. Um, personally able to be the best that they can be or even to contribute the best that they can to the to the world, to the economy and so on. And then you know, the people who seem to be grabbing or benefiting the most, you know, sort of getting the spoils of all of this, which is where we keep talking about the one percent and then the ten you know, the that top layer of people who are untouched by the bad things but just keep coasting along 
those kinds of things also, I think, will be under a lot of scrutiny over the, over the next few years. Under a lot years. of scrutiny. And what's scary about that statement also is, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. And when socialism, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes uh, more of the, uh, you know, our uh, political arena, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people will be less, uh, uh, you know, uh, concerned uh, mm-hmm. about uh, progressing and achieving if they're going to be so highly taxed. So there's this fine line. I hear what you're saying. Uh, some people are being underutilized uh, and are overqualified. Mm-hmm. It's true. And underpaid. It's true. So there's a lot going on right now uh, that's being questioned, but we do need to stay uh, with uh, having the best colleges having the best doctors, uh, mm-hmm. being able to advance uh, in our lives. A lot of countries mm-hmm. don't have that. So being uh, careful and giving people a chance should not mean that there should mm-hmm. be less of a reason to try to gain um, the benefits of being in a country uh, where mm-hmm. you can achieve on your own as well. So there's that back and forth. But a lot of that's going on that you're talking about, the pandemic uh, and after effects, is really good. Uh, We are reaching a point of questioning about our lives, Mm -hmm. running around in circles. When you're talking about employment and enjoying where we're going, uh, that's extremely uh, important because it's extremely relevant uh, to what's happening to us today. We're wondering, you know, where is our place? Do we feel safe at work? Uh, is it uh, fair-minded? Are there people mm-hmm. that I di- are div- diverse like myself there? Can I identify it? Am I treated in a way and paid in a way that uh, meets uh, my standards and my uh, expertise? So people are going to question it more. And I'm just mm-hmm. wondering, as we're talking, uh, what is the future? Where are we going uh, as far as employment? as far as some people willing to take low income so they can feed their families and some people uh, deciding not to work, uh, those low income people going to have to pick up the slack. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that these are like the big questions that even I, not even I, but I I think about these things that don't necessarily feel like I have answers, but I think the question is very real. It's something we all have to be we all have to understand and think about because if we are at the top and we and we're in that bucket and we think we're safe and we think we're fine well the reality is we depend on everybody else and if everybody else is not well then you know we're not going to be able to stay uh, and get everything that we want 100 um, for you know for very long and if we're at the very bottom and can't get jobs and to feed our families and then we have to depend on social services to survive and we sort of give up and that's it then you, that we don't get ourselves or our kids may never get the opportunity to ever get out of that cycle so there regardless of where and then of course the folks in the middle are ebb and flow you know we'll have good, good years and bad years well that system you know we have to ask ourselves is that's what we want and i actually think that it's going to be our the, the next generation gen that people call gen z they are not 
tolerant. No, they don't tolerate the idea of, okay, let's wait and see, let's give it some time and it'll all work out. That's not the way they think. The way they think is, okay, we have a problem. What are we going to do to fix it? And can we fix it tomorrow? So I think that's going to help us all because our generation is more accustomed to tolerating, waiting, um, sort of biting our, our lip and not complaining and all of that stuff. But that is not the way the next generation is going to behave. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we we complain and uh, we feel stuck uh, and we don't make changes. So we need right. to really uh, be able to see how to humanize the workplace. And that's something that you speak about uh, in the future. Uh, where are people going to be? How are they going to control it? And mm-hmm. uh, what will it be to have freedom uh, yes. and uh, moving in a place that, as you were saying, uh, balance, life balance, and this is what they do want, and this mm-hmm. is uh, something that uh, we can benefit from with longevity as well, tension, stress, running around in circles, uh, feeling that we have no choice, and when right. you're talking about uh, people who are in a lesser position, you know, how do we humanize that? We need to give mm-hmm. them a higher increase in pay, that's true. Uh, we need mm-hmm. to let them have opinions of how to make things and change things at work. Uh, that's true. Any other suggestions with this, with the humanizing the workplace? Well, I mean, it, it is that leaders will have to stop the old-fashioned idea of the, of differentiating between what they some people call hard skills and soft skills. Hard skills meaning, you know, manufacturing, engineering, selling the product, making the money, and soft skills meaning having to do with, um, you know, dealing with the human concerns that people have. And we have allowed our society to be set up in such a way where where we've tolerated that split, but that doesn't, it is not rational and it isn't working anymore because you can't take a human and say produce, but then at the same time not want to know that the human is suffering from, you know, has some personal issues so they can't come to work on Monday, or they have a, a spouse who's in the hospital dying of cancer, so they they really, they're here, but they really need to be this other place to take, you know, you cannot pretend like it isn't the same person. You've got to balance what the business needs to get the job done with what the human needs in order to be a human. So when you're saying humanize it, humanize the workforce, the human, the person comes first, not the work first. Is that right? Yeah, and of course, that is a notion that I think to a lot of people sounds like, you know, a poppycock. Some people cannot even think that way because that's, and we haven't required our, our business schools don't teach that way. So we've got as a society to decide are we really going to go, like, how could we ever have thought that that would last? And now that we have gotten to the point where we're more aware of this, we can't allow the leaders leaders to go back to that old idea. Soft skills are the skills of the human. They, are, they go along with the others and, as you say, are more important because the human is more than just a unit of production. You know, the human is what adds all of the uniqueness and value. So wouldn't it be a good idea 
if uh, people who were advertising uh, for employees would offer that as an incentive. Uh, you come first. Uh, mm -hmm. We uh, support uh, taking off in time of need, uh, vacations, uh, you know, uh, paid uh, health days, or whatever that is. Wouldn't that be a wonderful incentive for people to know that this is the environment uh, that they're buying into and this is a lifetime situation? I mean, we go to work every day from 9 to 5 or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. So you're suggesting that this is to humanize the workforce, workplace would be to give people these incentives and to offer this as part of the package, uh, not just uh, the check, the, uh, the, the dollar amount, but the mm -hmm. lifestyle amount. So we're going into a whole different uh, way of looking at what work is today, and especially after the pandemic, a lot of people, as I said, have got comfortable you know, riding mm -hmm. bikes with their families and you know, having dinner early or whatever it is. Uh, so I'm just wondering, what got you into this field? What, because you are a leader in this. We don't have too many people like you doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always been interested in, so my thing is organizational culture, as I said before, and organizational behavior. The diversity and inclusion is like a slice. It's like a vein in a rock. You know, it's, it's always part of that conversation. The only thing that is different is that in the last year or so, ever since George Floyd was killed, these kinds of conversations are getting a little bit more pointed and more specific because before that, no one wanted to talk about this. No one in business wanted to, and even now, people are talking about these things more, but it is still somewhat taboo. So in that sense, the only thing that is different for me is that I, on a personal level, Ever since George Floyd was killed, I became a changed person because I, when I, when I, for whatever, you know, I watched that happen and I understood what it meant in a bigger societal sense. And I also realized that I had a unique combination of skills, experiences, and talents that perhaps I could be part of the solution in my little way, whereas before um, I would not have made it as much of a, a focal area. And the only reason I wasn't making it a focal area is because it was taboo, right? So it's, it's in effect, you know, when you say something is taboo, but yet the thing that's taboo is about you, you're, that's, that's sort of a schizophrenia in and of itself because clearly I, am, I have been affected by these things on a personal level even though I don't talk about them. So I am fully aware. So, so you know, I think you kind of look in the mirror and you say, what is your purpose on the planet? And maybe this is a place where I can be of unique value. Well, I could hear in your voice uh, that you are very touched by this. And mm -hmm. it has affected you personally. Uh, and uh, that in itself is a huge statement because you're not only uh, personalizing it, you're connecting to other people's uh, wounds mm -hmm. and suffering oh. through this and feeling mm -hmm. that they're not being taken care of uh, equally, and it's scary, and it's uh, it's outrageous and, and devastating. Uh, and when we see that this mm -hmm. can still be happening today, after all yeah. we've gone through, we question uh, what's really going on. Is it a few people 
who have a, uh, you know, racist uh, attitudes? Uh, is it society that really hasn't changed? So we're trying to even figure it out today. Uh, are mm -hmm. these police officers who kill these black young men, are they being held accountable or are they just being mm -hmm. uh, fired? Uh, are they being put in prison for the rest of their lives? Uh, what's really That's going right. on? And, you know, it's interesting because we're still in the dark. We still don't know uh, what the sentences are for a lot of these cops uh, who have their own history and who are mm -hmm. not supposed – they're worse than the people that they are putting into prison to begin with. A lot of them mm -hmm. have done mm -hmm. things that uh, – Oh, yeah. How, how they even got into uh, that kind of position. So we really need to revise uh, what um, – Sorry. Low battery. That's going to be edited. But um, <laughs> we really need to uh, revise what it is that uh, police officers are being trained. We need to revise what people of authority uh, do so they can be held yeah. accountable. Go ahead. You're going to say something? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I just was going to say on a higher, on a broader level that as a society, we have to make decisions about what we want our leaders to be like. And that's not just the leaders like in a corporation. It's our politicians. It's our law enforcement. It's, it's any group that has a responsibility or has any control over our lives and that, um, you, you know, they have that control. And sometimes what we have allowed is for that to sort of just be out of control. Like, like it's almost as if we put the the needs of the of what I'm going to call the leaders in this case ahead of the needs of ourselves and of our society because we see these things that we know aren't good but we just keep our mouths shut and again I'm not just talking about police officers again I'm talking about leaders in business I'm talking about um, politicians I'm talking about all of that because that's what a, a society is so if we if it's you know it's kind of like if my if my father, who would never do this, but if my father killed somebody, and I said, it's 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 a person who kills people should go to prison, but it's my father, so I love him dearly, and therefore he gets a pass. He doesn't. If we do everything that way, then everybody will be a killer, and everybody will be free, and then we will be in danger. As a society, what we say is, we've got to figure out what is good for our society keep those things and we've got to get rid of the things in our society that are that are killing us literally you know figuratively they're destroying they're terrifying our kids um you know in schools with gu i mean things that we know are not good we've got to decide we have to decide what our leaders are doing wrong because you're right it trickles down and where is this coming from and how is it that uh people are not accountable and what is it that they are not following through with? Uh, a, a lot of talk doesn't represent change. We need to act on change, and we need to make rules and laws and have people uh, of diversity in the White House to make those rules, uh, and we need to be able to have everywhere a diversity in the court system uh, with uh, you know, and, and the uh, police uh, uh, with police officers that are trained 
Uh, we need to be able to have it in education uh, with the books that we read, what's going on mm-hmm. there. So when we're talking about employment, uh, that's yeah. one of the chains uh, that comes after, after all that's going on in our society. So we are trying to change a certain perceived attitude of equality and fairness and a voice for the people who have been silenced no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to also go to a bigger arena as well and, mm-hmm. and uh, change this uh, that could be something that could really become revolutionary. Who are the voices uh, that are making the changes in our society? And it's right. not about uh, Republican, Democrat, socialism, uh, capitalism. It's none of that stuff. This is America, and it's a melting pot, and people come here uh, from all over to feel safe mm-hmm. and secure. And we're going into a situation where uh, people like yourself who are trying and doing a wonderful job uh, with making changes, and those mm-hmm. changes uh, really need to be heard uh, with people of influence, with people uh, that have companies, that people who mm-hmm. hire a lot of people underneath them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Yeah, the workforce. Uh, this is something when you're looking for applicants, what are you writing down? What are you asking? What are you telling them? Uh, the forms themselves have to change of what the requests are. Uh, mm-hmm. Having children, uh, getting pregnant. You know, there used to be a time in the workplace that if a woman, a woman came for employment and she was newly ma- married, uh, they wouldn't hire her because they would feel she wouldn't stay too long because she's going to get pregnant. Oh, okay, wow. I don't know if you remember that time, but I do. And I also remember a woman wouldn't be hired only because she had her menstrual cycle or she may not stay every day. Oh, wow. (laughs) Prejudice, my goodness. If you were a woman, and not only that, a man would get more money because, after all, he was the sole provider of the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember, I do remember that. And a lot of that, is the reason why we still have the disparities between men and women to this day in terms yeah. of pay. Yeah, the best thing uh. is to do your own thing, be like yourself, be a professional, and don't mm-hmm. depend on uh, somebody else because it's still going on uh, today. And as uh, women become more um, educated, like yourself, uh, and uh, have uh, more higher status, uh, that'll be something that will change the way they're being treated. So it, it really mm-hmm. does start with education and uh, how employees uh, see you. And that also s- uh, ends up how you're seen at home, how you're seen socially. Uh, as you know, it's all everywhere, uh, your status, your career. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's very, it, it's yep. very, uh, it does affect. And so when we're talking about diversity, not only with women, uh, with everyone, it seems to go back to the place of who's the boss, and maybe you should work hard to be the boss, and uh, maybe the way we look at work has to change, and what is really going to make us happy, and it's we need a certain amount of money, but what else do we need there? So when I asked you uh, the three things that you felt were uh, most important. Um, in the workforce, I'm just going to start with that again, uh, just to know, what are th- the three biggest mistakes uh, that um, employers 
are making that they need to change. Are you talking about with respect to diversity and inclusion or in general? I'm just talking about in general. Yeah, yeah. So I, I started to say the first one is this whole notion of that, that many leaders are not being 100% leaders. They are being partial leaders. They're, they're leading a part of the business that they're supposed to be leading, a part of the team they're supposed to be leading, a part of the responsibility of a leader, but they're not really fulfilling all the obligations of a leader. And, and that expectation has not been reinforced. So that's one of the most common things that, that's one of the biggest problems that I see. Another that I see is just this whole um, idea that, um, you know, folks, that are higher in organizations don't have any reality, any real sense of what it is like to work in the organizations that they lead at the very top. Sometimes they simply do not. And, and, and it's relatively easy these days to, to use the tools that are available that companies get to understand what's really happening. But the, 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 the issue is not just that sometimes leaders don't know, but worse, um, because sometimes they don't have bad intentions. They don't know because they make the mistake of assuming that because they're having a particular experience that everybody else in the company is having that experience. And so when you're at the top, you probably are having a good experience. I mean, you're, you're working hard and all of that, but you have all the spoils. But if you look at your organization and don't take the time to understand the nuances, that becomes quite problematic. And that is a behavior that I see fairly often and, and, and furthermore, sometimes the people that report into some of the highest level people don't tell them the things that they ought to know because they don't want to be the bearer of the bad news. So there's that as a second problem. And I would say the third, you know, and, and these are things that leaders, again, I'm not thinking that leaders are bad people. I'm thinking that sometimes they are uh, not, uh, you know, as aware and connected to some of these things because no one is telling them. Um, and then, you know, I would say the third um challenge the third thing that I think leaders have got to um, really focus on is this thing that I, I started with, which was really sort of, you know, the, the, the humanization of, of this whole experience and deciding what do they stand for. Um, the, there are a lot of ideas such as common good and purpose-driven organizations that are getting attention. And the reason those ideas are getting attention in some circles is because it's pretty evident that, we're, that we as a civilization are sort of walking towards the edge of a cliff in, in so many ways, whether it's climate, whether it's social change. You know, we, we kind of almost can tell that this is not, there's something not right here. So leaders do have the opportunity to say, okay, whatever do an organization, we're going to put the human and the common good in the middle of it, and if that means that we have to stop doing the plastic bottle, if that means we have to stop throwing our waste in the, in the, in the river that, that is adjacent to our manufacturing plant, whatever it is, we are not, what are we waiting for? There is no tomorrow. You know, we've got to say we're going to own that, and that's one of the mistakes that I see, and, and that doesn't just apply to, to environmental issues. Of course, and the place to the social justice issues and all these other issues, leaders have got to have a, a, a stance, a point of view, a, a, you know, sort of a values-driven yes. approach. Yes. You know, I was always uh, I'm thinking as you're talking, maybe we should get rid of the word boss, you know. Uh, maybe we should put a different word in there. Because when we're talking about equality, 
uh, and we're talking about having a voice, uh, that word means you have to look up to and listen, and he has the final say. Mm-hmm. And people, if they're getting a paycheck, and as you said, they don't want to get into trouble, uh, they just won't uh, do anything uh, to get themselves out of this safety mm-hmm. debt. So maybe instead of a boss, uh, we should use a different name. Do you, can you think of a name that we could use instead? <laughs> oh, I, I'm not sure of a name, but I, you know, I, I, you've noticed that I didn't use the word boss myself. Mm. I always talk about leaders, um, and I, when I say leader, I don't even mean just at the top. I mean a person who who has some responsibility uh, for for supporting another group of people in order to you know not just get the job done but to also thrive so so the word boss i do think is is not should not be used is no. is is it and creates that dynamic of, of you know a subordinate the other thing is to that you know in in uh, the way that we work today uh a boss if we were going to look at it that way is as you mentioned before at high risk for failure because why would you set it up to where it is as if you're the only one that, that has the ideas, you're the only one that knows what's going on, instead of taking full advantage of all of the wisdom, experience, and ideas of an entire team? So anyone who sets up that dynamic, that old-fashioned idea of the boss versus the rest yeah. is really a, a, a recipe for disaster. Yes, I'm thinking of names as you're talking. I don't know what it could be. I mean... Uh, they're so boring. Also, group uh, group organization, uh, which would mean encompass everybody. Uh, and uh, when you're looking at somebody who has the uh, ownership of a company, uh, it doesn't mean that they have all the answers. I had a patient mm-hmm. uh, who was the uh, well, who was the president of a stock company, mm-hmm. uh, very wealthy, a billionaire. And I said to him, how did you know what to do? Mm-hmm. He said, I didn't. I told everybody else, treat me like I'm dumb, and you do what you're supposed to do for me. So he mm-hmm. even admitted that he didn't have the answers. Right. And he was not someone who was arrogant, uh, but he did very well because he had everybody else uh, move together in a group uh, and a support system. And mm-hmm. kept giving them increases. Um, I think that uh, Steve Jobs did the same thing. He uh, made people that worked around him, I didn't want to say under him, um, their own uh, place of being a boss and achievers and gave them credit for it. And meanwhile, because he had a team mentality, uh he kept getting uh, better and better through them because of mm-hmm. them, but he admitted it, and he mm-hmm. allowed it. So yeah, we have to think of a name. I think that should be your next speech. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a different uh, type of uh, connotation uh, mm-hmm. in the workforce. What that means and what because it's right away going to change your role, right, and right, y- right, and your identity. Uh, because there's not one person uh, that's going to know more than the other. And we're reaching mm-hmm. a place, uh, I suppose, if this is the right word, of democracy and socialism, which is 
are being defined as everyone, uh, in uh -huh. my point of view, getting e equal shares uh, uh -huh. in the place of work, uh, that would be uh, very gratifying. And you're saying the new generation is going in that direction, is that right? Well, I, I, it's definitely going more in the in that direction than in, than any generation or group with which I have had the pleasure to work with. I think that the idea that the the person who's the best leader should be the leader versus the person who somebody appoints and puts a star on their forehead, the person who has the best ideas, those are the ideas that should be implemented versus the, the only the ideas that only can come from certain chosen people. Um, those kinds of egalitarian ideas and ideals I, I see are more prevalent. The reason that um, uh, this generation has been successful in getting greater um, acknowledgement of the rights of LGBTQ uh, IA, people who identify as LGBTQIA or people who have whatever other disadvantage in our current society. It shouldn't be a disadvantage. It's, it's just a disadvantage in our society. But, our, but this generation has basically said, we will be the protector of those people. So, you know, you will not harass an LGBTQIA person who is in my peer group. I'm going to protect that person. You will not harass an Asian American and Pacific Islander who was in my age group, if I'm aware of it, because I will have a lot to say. They, I think that is all going in the right direction. Yes, it's going in a wonderful direction. I went to my uh, son's, uh, gra uh, their twins' graduation uh, last night uh, from eighth grade into high school, and uh, they had the boys wearing carnations and the girls were holding roses. And um, it was interesting because some of these kids, uh, they didn't know if they should give them roses. A girl, uh, you know, started dressing like a boy and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting about it was, was not the confusion, uh, but by the acceptance of my children. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different generation. It's like, so what? What's the big deal? Yeah. Uh, so the new norm is not that they are going to be allowed. The new norm is that they are mainstreamed, actually. It's not that we're going to step aside mm -hmm. and uh, accept them. They're, I, they are part of society uh, from this generation that doesn't mm -hmm. really know the difference. Uh, my kids are befriending all kinds of uh, situations with different transgender and gender and race mm -hmm. and uh, you name it. It's just a pleasure. So uh, that, that is what, where we're going in our society. Uh, that is where we're going in the uh, workforce as well. And hopefully politically, uh, these devastating situations uh, can be uh, really addressed and, and, and changed uh, mm -hmm. because this is, we're in a crisis with that for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Well, I, you know, I, I, I am eternally optimistic, but more than the op optimistic, I am willing to do my little part, um, as are you, um, and most people who recognize that we do this 
less for ourselves and more for our children and for the next generation to not have to deal with some of the things that we have experienced that we believe were caused by human neglect or, or um, you know, malingering. You know, we want better for them. Absolutely. We need to step aside uh, no, no matter who we are and to uh, identify people around us that are us with the mm-hmm. same needs and the same abilities and That's to right. embrace them uh, rather than push it away uh, because that only makes you uh, richer uh, emotionally. Uh, mm-hmm. Money is important, but as you said, you know, the 1% or whatever, uh, what's more important is for them to be altruistic and uh, to be supportive of people who don't have. Where can people reach you? You know, the easiest way is to just go to LinkedIn and look for me by my name, G-E-N-A-C-O-X. And from there, you can find the link through a variety of other things, including my website. Um, but it's the easiest way for people to, to find me, I think, these days. I just, you know, I always used to send people directly to my website, and I still do sometimes. But I, what I have discovered is that it's such a richer experience when people have the opportunity to sort of explore and, and figure out whatever they find interesting. And then they find me, um, however they find me, but they already know more about me than they, uh, than they otherwise would. So yes. I enjoy that. Well, you're very interesting. You're very open. Uh, you've done research. Uh, you're uh, somebody who has all this information. And you, you're also very humble. With all the with all the uh, information you've given us today, so I really appreciate uh, your wisdom and your ability uh, to make changes uh, today and in the world around us. So thank you so much, and hopefully we'll hear about you soon again. Absolutely, and thank you for having me on your show, Dr. Frida. I do appreciate it. My pleasure, and uh, who knows okay. what the future can bring? You never know. Maybe Good we'll thing. meet up again for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Be well and uh, a pleasure speaking to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So just to let you know that after every show, you can send in questions to Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R, Frida, F-R-I-E-D-A, at gmail.com. Thank you. I hope to hear from you.